Hey, it's Scott Petrak with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The Browns beat the Bears 26-6 on Sunday with a historic defensive performance to improve to 2-1. OBJ returned, Kareem Hunt ran angry, and Miles Garrett reminded everyone how good he can be. Joining me to talk about it all is Dave Chudowski of the WKYC Morning News. Dave, how are you? Scott, I'm doing great. Another win, another victory Monday yesterday. So that was excellent. And then uh, I'm feeling good right now. I just, I, I was just telling you before we started here, I just went to uh, Core CLE, Core Cleveland on uh, Columbia in uh, Westlake. And I just did a workout that was tremendous. It was a Versa climber. Mm. Oh my. I'm telling you what, man, talk about a, a workout. So if anyone uh, is looking for something different, check it out. I, I highly recommend it. I am. Going to be a little sore, but that's all right. Maybe that'll be the inspiration I need to get off of uh, my recliner today, Chud, and go get a go get a little run in today. I think it should be. I think that's the uh, the inspiration. I got to tell you, man, working out is just it's huge for me mentally and physically. And uh, you know, if anyone's looking, you know, that's the you know, get a little motivation. Not you, but just anybody. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's uh, you know, you think Miles Garrett isn't working out? <laughs> right well yeah I mean, I mean i saw him without his shirt on. he did his interview friday with no shirt on so i'm convinced that he's working out now the browns keep me too busy that's my excuse for not working out as much as i should it's probably a garbage excuse and there's plenty of time but uh yeah, yeah Miles, well, it's, gar- it, it's garbage because you find your way to the golf course any chance you get well so i mean you gotta have priorities Joe. <laughs> you do i'm glad you brought up the garrett thing because i thought about that how when after that happened i'm like oh i, I can't wait to talk to you about it and I want to get your opinion on that, but we, that can come down the line here. Um, but one thing I wanted to say is, you know, one thing I, you know, I, I feel like, especially on Twitter, it's all about people love to pat themselves on the back. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you get that on the radio shows. And one thing I, I I've always prided us in is I feel like we try to keep it as real as possible. Um, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, fall for, you know, the, I don't, I'm looking for the word, you know, you, you fall in the trap and, or you don't see things coming. I mean, listen, no sure. one's going to ever get it right. And that's the bottom line. We will tell you that we will get things wrong, but so far we're both three and on our picks, but I also want to make it clear. We're not here to try to help you win money. If you want to go to <laughs> Vegas and win money, we're not your guys. I'm owing three in Vegas. You're one and two, but we're both three and on our picks. And I actually hit the Browns score two weeks in a row. I had 26. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's pretty good. I, I mean, you're, I mean, it's really good. They call that in the press box. We call that a nostril. If you get half the score right, instead of a noser, you know, if the noser is you get the whole score right, the nostrils half the score. <laughs> the um, and you were right there. You were at twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, we were a point off with the Chiefs in Week One. So yeah. you know what? I'm here to pat you on the back. <laughs> and if I'm going to have to do it to myself, I will as well. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Chud. The thing about that game against the Bears, right? You try to figure out, okay, how's it going to play out? And obviously, nobody knows exactly, right? I mean, Bill Belichick's good at figuring that out. Um, but I just figured Justin Fields would be able to make some plays. The Browns' defense had not been very good through two weeks, right? We talked about that a ton. Um, you know, we saw what he did at Ohio State. You saw him play in the, a little bit in those first couple of games. He's got a good arm. He can run. Um I figured they'd be able to make some plays and, and I like the bears defense. And we saw that, you know, we saw that for a good chunk of that game 
Sunday. I mean, the Browns only had three points until a minute left in the first half. So I felt like it was going to be a closer game. I just had no idea that Chicago's game plan would be as bad as it was. And then Fields would not be able to overcome that, right? I mean, the line was bad for the Bears. The play calling, the the scheme, all of it was bad. And then Fields just couldn't do anything to rescue it. Um, And that's how you get a lopsided score and an easy cover, right? Like, that's just what I did not see coming. I thought the Browns would struggle to score because that Bears defense is legit. And the Browns did struggle to score. You know, 26 is, I mean, that's still a good number, but it's not an unbelievable number. But I thought the Bears would be able to score more. And they just obviously were so inept. Um, And the Browns had a lot to do with that. I'm not taking anything away from Miles Garrett or Jadavion Clowney or JOK, any of the guys we're going to talk about. But (laughs) I just thought – Chicago would be able to do something yeah. that they and they just didn't do anything. Well, and that's where we're honest with everyone. I mean, we're gonna let you know. I mean, listen, we we picked the Browns to win, but neither of us had them covering. You know, I had 26-20, you had 27-20. And I think we both felt the same way. I I felt like the especially after the Bears, the way they played the Bengals. And um, I now that's the key here, a rookie quarterback. We both thought he was yeah. gonna play better. So I'm gonna, in my opinion, I want yours. Was that win? And the defensive effort, was that more the Browns' defense? Was that more on fields and how they prepared and had him get out there in the game plan? Was it a combination of both? Because, listen, if anyone is going to tell you that that was just the Browns being dominant on defense, I think that's a disservice because I, as dominant as they were, and I feel much better about their D, trust me, that was one of the worst quarterback performances I've seen in a long time, if not ever. Yeah, I'm going to go with combination, right? I mean, it's always a combination. But if I had to lean somewhere, I might lean toward Chicago failure. Um, And I say that because Matt Nagy just didn't help. And he's the Bears coach. He just didn't help fields. Like, there were not designed runs. I mean, the guy's a big-time athlete. And, yes, the Browns' ends are good. And, yes, the Browns knew what Chicago was going to try to do. But I didn't feel there was any – serious attempt by the bears to get fields outside the pocket, to use them as a running threat. And once he would have had a little success doing that, then I think Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator for the Browns would have had to dial things back, right? You have to adjust. You probably have to play a little safer so you don't give up the running plays, but with that, without that being a threat, they just went after him. And, you know, it didn't feel like miles Garrett was worried about, Fields running away, you know, I mean, they, he lined up inside and he, you know, crashed down the middle and he, I mean, they dominated the offensive line, but like, I just felt at some point the Browns said, you know what, we're just not worried about anything. We're not worried about him dropping back. We're not worried about him escaping. And that made life easier on the Browns. Obviously the bears offensive line is a weakness and Matt Nagy did not help it. Right. Jason Peters, left tackle now, Miles Garrett called him a Hall of Famer before the game, and maybe he will be a Hall of Famer, but he's old, and Miles ran by him multiple times. Um, the guard, Miles would line up over the guard and beat the guard. And my point is, Miles talked last Friday when we talked to him. He talked so much about how the Texans chipped him more than he's ever been chipped before. And he grew frustrated with that, and he grew frustrated because his teammates weren't taking advantage of their one-on-ones. 
And it was an interesting topic for Miles. And you wonder, you know, was he talking out of school? To me, it felt like more Miles was trying to motivate the guys around him and including motivate himself into, okay, let's have a game. But the Bears didn't take that. They didn't follow that game plan of the Texans. They did not chip Miles a ton and get him frustrated and take him out of his game and make somebody else beat them. Instead, I mean, I, I, you know, we watched the game, and I did, I'm not saying I watched every snap to see if Miles was chipped, but I know on one of the sacks he was, and it was a terrible chip by the running back, and then Peters tried to cut him low, and it didn't work, and it wound up being an easy sack for Garrett. But most plays that I watched and paid attention to, Garrett was not getting double teamed or chipped. And if you're only going to go with a five-man protection with the rookie quarterback, you put him in harm's way. And that's exactly what Matt Nagy did to Justin Fields. And the Browns took advantage. So, you know, yeah, the Browns played well. It was a huge improvement. I think it quiets a lot of the questions about Joe Woods and how, you know, the Browns coming together as a defense. But I would have liked to seen, I mean, if you're, I just would like to see Justin Fields be better protected and put in a better situation. I think that would give you a more fair evaluation of the Browns defense. Yeah, it's a good take. I don't know if that's necessarily the uh, more, more popular take around Cleveland, but I, I think that's I think that's fair to say because I just I really believe if you had a competent and listen, he's going to be. I think Fields is going to be okay. At least I mean I would think so. Mm-hmm. But I, I just feel like if there was a veteran quarterback there, it may have been a different story. But you're right though. They, in, but part of that's the way, like you said, the, the 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 coaching scheme and the game plan. It was bizarre. It was bizarre to watch. But I guess at the end of the day, here's the thing. Who cares? Right. That, that the result has to be good for this defense meshing, and that's what we talked about last week. Well, yeah, and, I mean, you can't get it. I mean, I don't want to downplay or dismiss or undervalue the one net yard pass, right, and the 47 net yards total for the Bears. I mean, those are historic numbers. They're franchise records for the Browns. So Incredible. not every defense would have done that right to Justin Fields. He would have had a better day against a bunch of other defenses, but the Browns played really well. And miles Garrett can wreck a game and he can dominate any week, especially when, you know, the offenses don't pay him enough attention and give him one-on-ones. He will dominate in those situations and did just that. And then we saw it across the defense. Jadavion Clowney had two sacks, five quarterbacks hit quarterback hits. Hadn't had a sack since 2019. You know, played pretty well, I guess, I thought, against the Chiefs. Um, didn't show up a ton against the Texans. Had a couple of hits. Um, but really, I thought this was his breakout game with the Browns. Great to see. You're going to need him as that bookend to Miles Garrett. JOK, I thought, was all over the place. I think he played 23 snaps or 25 snaps. But there were, I think it was 23 of 45. And the Browns only had 45 defensive snaps, which – you know, that's a small, small number. And they had 81 on offense, which just shows you the lopsidedness of the game. Um, but JOK, he was flying around. He made plays in coverage. He had two passes defense. I just wanted to make sure I was right on that. It's 23 out of 45. Um, making plays in pass coverage, made plays in the run game. He had a stop on third and two early that forced a field goal. We saw him get half a sack when Miles Garrett wanted the whole sack, but it was interesting. JOK was playing off the line. His guy, I think he was responsible for the running back. The running back stayed in to block somebody else. JOK had nothing to do, so he blitzed and gets the half a sack with Miles Garrett. So, 
you know, I thought those guys played well. The secondary played better. Ronnie Harrison showed up. Um, it was just an overall outstanding effort. And I don't want to take too much away, too much away from the Browns at all. I'm just saying Matt Nagy did have a role in the Browns being as good as they were. Go back to Garrett last week. When you walked away from that interview, was there any concern at all about, you know, what he said? And, and it was like, wasn't it bizarre? I wasn't there. Uh, you were. I mean, no shirt on. And I mean, it was a, a, an interesting interview, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I'm pretty sure we've interviewed Miles no shirtless before. So it wasn't anything that I hadn't seen. Um, it was a little different that he was outside. You know, usually, you know, you can get guys. Guys will be in different states of dress if you're interviewing him in the locker room, but this was outside. So that was a little bit weird. And he was wearing a, like a winter hat. So that was, you know, it's a weird combination, you know, shirtless with a winter hat on. Um, I've but, seen uh, you do that before. Yeah. No, you have not. You have not. Chuck. Um, <laughs> I don't go shirtless very often. and don't wear winter hats hardly ever. So, um, but to get uh, back to miles, he, what does the comments were certainly interesting, right? Like, the fact that he came out and was like, yeah, they chipped me more than anybody else, or, you know, than I've ever been chipped before. Uh, okay. So that's miles. You know, some people on Twitter react, Oh, he's making excuses. You know, I, I think there's part of that is there, you know, he needs an explanation for why he didn't have, you know, didn't show up in the stats, but it's also reality, right? They pay him a ton of other teams, pay him a ton of attention. Laramie Tunsil's a good player. Um, but I thought it was a funny quote when he said, you know, I get paid too much and Tunsil gets paid too much for them to double team me as much as they did. Um, he was a, we're kind of taking away the fun of the matchup. Um, so, that, you know, those are some interesting insights in the miles. And, but then when he said, yeah, I'm frustrated that my teammates didn't take advantage and they didn't make the plays. Um, I, I think that could be taken the wrong way, but seeing how the Browns played and how miles played and it felt like how his teammates reacted to him on Sunday I don't think it was anything he didn't say behind closed doors. I think he just wanted that message out there that, hey, if we're going to be the team we think we're going to be, and if we're going to be the front four that needs to dominate, then I need help. And if I'm getting double and triple teamed, you guys need to step up. And it's an interesting take, and it's a take that I think could rub some guys the wrong way, but I haven't gotten that got sense. Um, and, you know, if we're just going by results, it worked out because they had nine sacks. So if you are giving out three game balls and we haven't talked about this, obviously Garrett's getting one of them. Yep. Who are the other two game balls? Kareem Hunt, 155 yep. yards, huge on that touchdown drive at the end of the first half. I mean, we're, it's a three, three game, right? And then Hunt goes down and leads that two minute drive and they score on the Baker to Hooper, you know, touchdown with, um, I'm looking it up. 19 seconds left in the half. Makes it 10 to 3. Huge play in the game. The Bears are starting the second half with the ball. Um, so Hunt was big on that drive. And then in the second half, he helped put the game away. That 29 yard touchdown run was huge. Baker talked about him playing angrier than usual. And while we're talking about Kareem, before I give you my other game ball, I, I thought it was weird that. Demetric Felton was the third down back on two third downs on that first, on those first couple of drives. Um, I know that Jarvis Landry wasn't there 
and that Felton was doing a little bit of the Jarvis role. Um, and they, you know, they ran that kind of funky motion in the backfield and threw him the swing pass and he got tackled for no gain. And we've seen them run that play to Jarvis before. And they ran a wheel route to Felton. Like they'd set it up. Like he was a guy, this is a play they're working on. And Baker just overthrew him and it should have been a touchdown. So that's yeah. not, right. That's not Felton's fault. It's not Stefanski's fault. It's the right play call. But my overall point is third down back belongs to Kareem Hunt. He's too good to take away any or many of those reps to give to a rookie. And I know Dimitri Felton's shown some things, right? He had a good game returning at a 33-yard touchdown against the Texans. I don't care. Kareem Hunt's a better player, and I'm not taking him off the field unless it's a special circumstance. And, you know, I think Kevin Stefanski probably realizes it. It was only a couple of plays, so maybe I'm making too big a deal of it. But it stood out to me at the time, and this is before Kareem went nuts, and I was, I was telling Tom Withers next to me, they got to get Kareem in the game. It's Felton should not be taking his reps. So I, I, that's just a, a strong opinion I have. I, you know, I think it'll go back to being all Kareem's. And again, it was only a couple of snaps, but it stood out to me because it's so early in the game. And then the Browns wound up failing on those two fourth down attempts. Yeah, but here's my question for you. And while I agree yeah. with pretty much 95% of what you said, and you did say it wasn't Felton's fault, if he if Baker hits him, then Stefanski looks like a genius there for that play. He does, but I think you could run the same play with Kareem. I'm not sure the coverage is any different if Kareem's in the backfield. Maybe there's a little more attention paid to him. Like that's why I'm kind of hedging on this because my thought is that Kareem would have gotten the same coverage because they ran it last year. I mean, they ran the same play last year and Baker hit him. But you know, if you're the, if you're Stefanski, you're probably thinking, hey, I can put my rookie back there. They're going to cover him with a linebacker. We're going to win the matchup and score. And I understand that. But then he followed it up with another third down, and they ran that swing pass. And it was probably meant for Jarvis in, in an original game plan, and they just put Felton in. Um, I, I just did not like seeing Kareem Hunt not being on the field on third down. I mean, that's the bottom yeah. line for me. Um, and then to finish your question, my third game ball, I mean, there's a bunch of candidates, but I'm going to go Odell. Um, they, the, you know, we <laughs> talked so much about his return. And he did not disappoint. He plays 52 snaps, um, catches five passes for 77 yards, a team high, one end around for 10 yards, picks up a first down, drew two holding penalties on the defense. To me, it was obvious that the Bears were worried about Odell having a huge impact on the game, and that changes the rest of how the offense can play. It frees up other things. Um, you know, he's still a threat, and – it's only his first game back, and he's only going to get better. Okay. I can't argue that, but he would get my fourth ball. I'm giving the third game ball to the kicker. Oh, yeah. See, I don't, I, it completely set my mind. That, that's a, <laughs> that's it's, it's probably my bias, just natural bias against kicking, I guess. But yeah. that's a great point. That's a great point. He was great. I mean, four for four, 57 and 52. Because just think about how bad, you know, kicking has been since Dawson has left. And, it, you know, if you start getting that, I mean, 50 yarders, oh, my gosh. I mean, that's that's incredible. Because, you know, we always joke about how, you know, we used to have the amazing left tackle and kicker, but nothing else. Right. And then, then we, you know, we're struggling in those two areas. Which, by the way, we'll get to left tackle here in a, in a minute. But, yeah, I just think McLaughlin, uh, you know, he – that, that was that was fun to watch. And they were important field goals. You yeah. Know? I mean, 
No, that's so, a great call. That's a great call. He should he should be in there. Um, I, I should probably take OBJ out of there because yeah, in big picture wise, I mean we've talked about you know the uncertainty revolving McLaughlin right heading into the season. How long is he going to you know? Is it his job if he struggles early? Do they you know do they bring in a replacement? And I, I thought the performance and not just yesterday. I mean he hasn't missed a kick in three games. Um, I, I think he's really earned the trust of the coaching staff and earned time where if he goes out and misses a kick or two, yeah, people are going to be upset, but I don't feel like the Browns would be in a rush to make a move. I, I think he's earned himself a little bit of a leash here. And that's what happens when you make 57 and 52 yarders. Yeah. Back to Odell. Uh, can you help me out here? How much did you watch being in the press box? You get, and I know this from being up there for years, I'm not there anymore, but you can watch things that you can't see on TV, right? Uh, how much yes. did Odell route running was in the middle of the field as compared near the sidelines? Did you pay any attention to that? Yeah, it's interesting. And then I, <clears throat> I went and rewatched, you know, the game yesterday. I would say the majority on the sidelines, you know, there were a couple of incompletions where Baker threw him away, out of, you know, threw it out of bounds or the one, was just a little too far out of bounds. And actually, it's probably Odell's best play. He went up along the sideline, made a really good catch, but the throw had taken him out of bounds. Um, he ran a stop route on the sideline. He ran a, like a triple move comeback where you couldn't tell, the corner couldn't tell if he was eventually going to take off on a deep route or come back. I think it's the same route they ran last year for that touchdown against the Bengals on that Thursday night. And this time they ran it as a comeback. And it was an easy completion. I mean, there's so much separation. So I would say the majority on the sideline, but, you know, he ran the slant on the second play that he should have been. There should have been a penalty called on Roquan um, for the Bears. He, he caught his first catch was on the third play, and it was a little, you know, hur curl hook route um, out of the left slot. So that counts as over the middle. Uh, he caught another in route. He caught a slant. So – I'd say the sideline, but it wasn't like it was um, one-dimensional. He, he was across the field. You know, it was big for me watching is when they uh, did the end around when he ran the ball. Yeah. Because that, that just tells me that he has full mental confidence and, and the coaching staff does too, don't you think? Or am I wrong on that? Yeah, no, I think so. And I, I think you're exactly right. And I think it also speaks to – I think it speaks to – some of the dynamics that he brings to this offense that we've talked about it. They were missing when he got hurt last year. The fact that he can run, you know, you, and Anthony Schwartz, the rookie speedster out of Auburn brings you some of that. Right. But when Schwartz is on the field, it feels a little bit like, okay, we got to watch out for this guy. Right. Odell's always going to be on the field. So the defense doesn't change just because he's lined up wide. And then if you're able to run an end around, you know, with the fake reverse action, um, that just adds another thing for defenses to worry about. It opens things up for the run game. If you see Odell going on that action, then the defense has to hold wide, right? And it opens up lanes in the middle, I feel like, for the running game. So that's why – that's what they were missing last year, and I think that's an area that Kevin Stefanski is really looking to exploit with Odell because I think it has a huge impact on the rest of the – on the rest of what he can call and what he can scheme. Is Miles Garrett the best player on the team? I know Stefanski made yeah. a comment 
I mean, is that, you know, when he, when he answered that, was that the whole team or just the defense? No, it was the whole team. And he said that last year. Um, I think it was an interview on his coaching show um, where he called Miles the best player on the team. And, you know, I, I, I get that maybe it hits the ears wrong or not, maybe not wrong, but it hits your ears, right? I'm like, that's a, that's a bold statement to call somebody on your 53-man roster the best player. But having been around that team, having been around Miles, like I, I think that's a consensus might be too strong a word, but I really feel like that's the general feeling among the team. That and it's it's not all about production; it's about um, talent and potential. And when you rank players among positions, right? Miles Garrett is in that discussion for best defensive ends in the league. Baker's not there yet with quarterbacks. Nick Chubb is there with running backs. And Odell at one point was there with receivers, right? And now he's had so many injuries that I don't think it's fair to put him in that discussion. So, therefore, if you're talking about best players on your team, it's Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb. And I think Miles is just such a special athlete that he gets – that that's why Stefanski would say that unapologetically. And, you know, I mean, Miles, I mean, Miles thinks he's the best player in the league, right? I mean, I talked to him before the season. I wrote a big story. Like, he thinks he should be, you know, he was upset he was ranked 16th or whatever it was in the NFL Network rankings. Like, he believes he's the most talented player in the league. Well, I want him to think that. I want him to go out there and and, and act like that because he has the talent to definitely be. Right. Well, then the transit property is if you're the best player in the league, you better be the best player on your team, right? Or whatever property that is. point. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting statement. It's not new. It's not new that Stefanski said, and I don't think it would set off any alarms inside the building, you know, and you ask other teammates about like the freakish athlete, it's always miles. Like he's the guy that everybody looks to. And it's because he's six, four, two seventy five, and he bends and runs like he does. So yeah, it was interesting, but I think it's just kind of an affirmation of what miles thinks of himself really. And I knew that you would bring up Chubb, and that's leading me into my next question. And, I mean, what a joy it was to watch Kareem Hunt and to know that. I just think, man, I'll tell you, when I watch these running backs, it's Yeah, and I had a feeling you would bring up Chubb when I asked that question. That leads me into my next uh, topic here is – it is such a joy to watch these running backs. And, and when I watch them, that's when I really believe, man, th- this offense can't be stopped because I, it's just hard to believe that those running backs, both of them can be stopped on, on any Sunday. And, you know, when Chubb kind of – did you think Chubb was stopped? I mean, I didn't think he had a terrible game, but it definitely, you know, it, it wasn't his normal type game. No, it wasn't. And I, I think it was like five carries for 11 yards in the first quarter. Um, something like that, but he finishes with 22 for 84, you know, 3.8 is obviously below his season average of five, something, Um, uh, you know, it's, he didn't have a lot of room to run early. And that's because of that bears front that we talked about. It's a legit front seven. And then I just think as the game went on, Kareem had such a head of steam going that he got, you know, he got a good number of carries. He had obviously had success, but then when they needed Chubb late in the game to control the clock, that's when he had his best runs. 
you know, like I said, finishes with 84 yards. The team finishes with 215. So, uh, yeah, it's, it was nothing about Chubb. It was, you know, if you're getting hit behind the line of scrimmage every time, it's tough to gain yardage. And I think that's just the way it was going to be against this Bears defense early is their stout front. But your, your point's well taken. I mean, that's, that's why the Browns have such a dynamic offense is because they have those two backs. They have a good quarterback. They have targets for the quarterback, right? And it's just a matter of figuring out the best way each week to maximize all those weapons and to play the game the most efficient and effective way. And Stefanski talked about it afterward. I mean, the easy formula that he wants to do is be aggressive on defense, score early, get a lead, and then turn it over to the run game, right? So the variable there is how do you get the lead early? Do you do it throwing? Do you do it running right off the gate? But in the second half, you want to be in a position where you can turn it over to those two guys and say, let's finish out this ballgame. Boy, that's a great point. Yeah, no question. How was the uh, energy in the building, man? It, it looked like it was rocking, and that, that's definitely something that uh, you can look forward to is having that really be a home field advantage. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and it's interesting. I think we touched on this last week. Stefanski keeps bringing it up. like he, He's like giving pep talks to the fans every Friday um, because he really feels like it can be you know, a benefit for the team, and I think he knows that it hasn't been there recently just because the Browns have been so bad. Um so he's really harping on that. And then there were a couple moments that stood out to me. Um, at halftime, it was Legends weekend. So Dequell Jackson gave a little speech that I thought got the fans geeked up. And then Josh Cribbs, you know, it's, the quote was something like, um, I, I, it was my greatest honor to play, bleed, and win for Browns fans. And, you know, and it's a great sentiment. And I really believe Josh believes that because he left everything on the field. But I think that was, you know, that got the crowd riled up. And then the Miles Garrett chants in the fourth quarter um, were loud. They were cool. And I, I think they really touched Miles. I mean, he talked about it at the game. He tweeted about it. Like, I think that really had an effect on him. And he talks about, you know, making his home here and wanting to be here forever. Um, and something like that, I think, is a moment that kind of cements that feeling for Miles. Yeah, and we know how fans fall in love with guys when they really love this city. And, you know, and, and you can tell. And, and you know that they want to stay. They're not going to leave. And uh, not that we have that problem too much with football players. That's another sport that we deal with that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, speaking of that, another sport. Man, you are so right on the ball. You told me last night to check out the Manning brothers on Monday Night <laughs> Football. And they had LeBron on last night. I, I, you know, I go to bed really early. This, this will probably freak people out when they, when I tell them I, I get up at uh, about two thirty, two forty-five in the morning. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what's freaky. Yeah, 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 it is freaky, right? But I lost like an hour of sleep last night because I could not stop watching the Manning Brothers. Man, you were, you took, you were the one who told me about it that I had to check it out. Man, it was awesome. They're fantastic. I like. I don't know if it's for everyone, but everyone I've talked about has loved it. Um, you know, cause you have to watch the game yourself because they're not breaking down each play all the time. So, you know, you could miss something if you're just focused on them, but you know, if you're used to watching football, first of all, they give great insight. And I mean, I've picked up a bunch of things about zone coverage and man coverage and what the quarterback's looking for yesterday. Peyton said he hates throwing 
the bubble screen to the wide receiver against man because it's too easy to um, for the defenders to fight through blocks. He only likes throwing it against off coverage man. He didn't like press man. He likes the off coverage. And he said he doesn't like it as a play call. He likes to be able to audible to it if he sees the perfect coverage. Um, I, I just thought that was an interesting. Like, and there's a bunch of those every week, and they're funny. They have a great rapport between the two of them. They have good guests, right? LeBron and Nick Saban and Matthew Stafford and Chris Long. Um, uh, I would much, 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 I can't say how many times, rather watch them than just a normal broadcast. And I got nothing against the normal broadcast. I like Lewis Riddick. Brian Greasy's fine. But I, I just i am infatuated with the Mannings. And now the problem is they're going to take like three weeks off. So you got to go back to watching normal Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Eli was dancing. He was ripping yeah. Peyton for having, uh, you know, sweaty armpits. I don't know yeah. if you saw that. It was yeah. hilarious. I mean, just the way they're ribbing each other and, and their personalities. Oh, man. And the LeBron interview, if we could just – we'll get back to the Browns here. I just got to stray away for a minute. But watching the LeBron interview, I don't know if everyone caught it, um, Peyton asked him about – they asked great questions too. And I wonder if someone's in their ear telling them to ask these questions, mm. if, they're, if they're written down before, or if these guys actually think on their own. I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably a combination of, of both. But um, he asked him about Tom Brady returning to Foxborough, right? To take yeah. on that game's in New England, right? Sunday yes. night. Yep. Yeah. So so Brady's returning to Foxborough. And he, he talked about uh he asked LeBron what it was like to return to Cleveland. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I don't really ever remember LeBron opening up as much about that as he did last night. Cause that was back in 2010. And he talked about how he didn't sleep the night before and uh the nerves and how he had to quiet the crowd and it, I was there for that game, and I, I could do a whole podcast with you on LeBron sure. and covering the Cavs, right? But I, I'll never, Scott. I'm telling you right now, you've been to so many football games; they kind of run together a little bit, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it, that. yeah, yeah. It, it happens. I mean, you don't you remember them, but like, there's just certain ones that stick out. That night is in my top five moments of my life that stick out because I the venom and hatred in that building for him, uh. and just you could cut it. I know it's I, I know it's cliche. But I've, I, I, you could cut it with a knife. Like you almost could physically see the energy and the hatred and the way the fans were just so angry with him. And I remember he didn't run out for the uh, intros. He, uh. When the Heat were there, he didn't run out. Everyone got introduced but him. And I asked him after the game, I said, hey, LeBron, where were you for the – see, I didn't care about how he played or any other stuff. I just wanted to know how he <laughs> thought about it. And he goes, what, can I go to the bathroom? So I thought that was pretty funny. Come on, Brian. You didn't have to go to the bathroom. You didn't like want that, to face the music. You didn't want, you know. That's funny. You didn't want to get booed, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and it was, uh, oh, man, he got booed big time, right? But he, uh, it was interesting to see him open up last night about that and talking about uh, playing football. And anyway, I totally got off track. I apologize, but I had to give you credit for that because uh, you were so on the ball on that with uh, how good it is. Yeah, I recommend that for anybody. When they come back, I think it's, I don't know, week six or seven, they're coming back. And they got some good games when they come back because um, they're not going to do all, all the whole season. But, yeah, I, I, I really – I do recommend it. I, I just think it's – I think it's a great watch. Back to uh, the Browns. Uh, bring us up to date on injuries. We always need to know where we stand there. Yeah, we, we don't know yet about um, Greg Newsom. Um, he left in the fourth quarter with a calf injury. And I went back and – you know, like you didn't notice anything on the field. And I went back and watched on the replay and 
you know, he plays third down. He looks fine. He, he stays on the field for the punt and they show him walk off the field and he looks okay. Right. So part of me says that's a great sign and that it's not a serious injury. Stefanski wouldn't really go there yesterday when we asked about the MRI said he hadn't had the results back. He let us know Wednesday. So, you know, I mean, any injury you're concerned about, hopefully it's not anything significant. You know, maybe he misses a week or two, um, but it's too early even for me to speculate on that. Um, so he's the big one. You know, Didn't and he agreed, tweet something? Yeah, he tweeted, I'll be good. But, I mean, that could mean anything, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, that's a better than, oh, my gosh, right? But um, <laughs> does that mean he'll be good this week? Does it mean he'll be good, you know, in a month? Don't you, lo- don't you love Twitter? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it gives you some insight, and you're like, oh, and then you really think about it. It's like, why? Well, you know, he hadn't even had the MRI yet. So, um, but, it, you know, it's encouraging to some level. Um, so he's the biggest one. And, you know, they got Greedy Williams would take over for Greg, as, you know, starting outside. Um, you know, and he's a starting level caliber cornerback. And that's what Troy Hill said yesterday, the nickelback. We talked to him. Um that's we, you know, the Browns, Andrew Barry went out and got depth at corner because it's such an important position because they didn't have enough depth last year. And having Greedy Williams able to fill in if necessary is really important. Um, you know, second round pick has talent. Now you still need to see him play well, but it's it's nice to have him. And I think the Browns are feel pretty comfortable having Williams able to step in if need be. And then the only other big injury um, that we know of, at least, is, you know, Jedrick Wills. And it's not even that. I mean, it's big because he's an important player. He's your left tackle. But Jedrick Wills Jr. aggravated that ankle. Um, happened in the first half. It was the second quarter. And kind of was in and out of the lineup the rest of the day. He played, I think, 70 of 81 snaps. Blake Hans played the other 11. So, you know, it's a question of can he just keep playing through it and will it get better? And then. What happens if he dings it again or if somebody falls on it again? I mean, those are the kind of questions that medical staff and the coaches have to deal with. But, you know, if it's not a high ankle and it's just this low ankle and you're an offensive lineman, that's the thing I think, the kind of thing I think your teammates and coaches expect you to play through just because offensive linemen, you know, they don't miss snaps. I mean, we see J.C. Treader playing on a bum knee every week. Um your ankle better be really limiting what you can do uh, for you to sit out. It's a mentality, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. All right. You ready to move on to uh, Minnesota? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Uh, Vikings coming off a win over Seattle, uh, one and two on the season. Uh, obviously, this game is in Minnesota. After the Browns went two on the road, they go back on the road. The Browns are 0 and 1 on the road as they lost in Kansas City. So where do you want to start first? You want to break down the Vikings or do you want to talk about the uh, elephant in the room? And that's Stefanski returning to take on his former team. Yeah, we can start there. It's going to be interesting to see how much he reveals this week. And he got asked about it Monday on the Zooms and was, no, you know, the Vikings are a great team. We got to take them seriously. It was really all he would say about it. Um, but he's going to be asked a bunch. I expect him to talk to Minnesota reporters this week. Um, they'll ask him a bunch about it. And it's just too big a storyline for him to dismiss it completely. He can downplay it all he wants. But the reality is he spent 14 years there. I mean, that's the only other place he's been in his NFL career. 
that's it's it's a huge rarity, right? Guys don't spend that long in one spot as an assistant coach. And he survived a bunch of coaching changes, kept working his way up the ranks, um, obviously impressed a bunch of people on the way before he becomes a Browns head coach. So you have that element of it, right? His kids were born there, all those things, the personal side of it. And then from a football side, I mean, he knows all these guys on the roster, right? Not all the guys because he's been gone for a year plus now. But, I mean, he knows Kirk Cousins, right? He knows um, Adam Thielen, you know? You just go down the list. He knows the guys on defense. He knows the strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, we can debate where how important that is, but it obviously plays a role in the game. Not to mention the coordinator that took his spot, Clint Kubiak, uh, or Clint Kubiak's the coordinator this year. Um, Gary, his dad, I believe, was coordinator a year ago with the Vikings. Um, they all run the same system. Like Stefanski the, took this Kubiak system, which is the – Shanahan system and brought it to Cleveland and the Vikings are still running it. So like the offenses look the same or real similar. So you have all these elements in play and it's going to be a storyline all week. And I'm just curious to see how much Stefanski is willing to open up about any and all of it. Well, let me tell you this. It's going to be a little different than facing a rookie quarterback. You are facing Kirk Cousins, who's put up big numbers this year. Thielen scores touchdown every week. They got Justin Jefferson in his second year. And uh, do we have an update on Delvin Cook? I haven't seen one yet, but even his uh, backup is good. Um, yeah, Madison, his backup right? really good. So, Alexander Madison looked great last week. So you're looking – I mean, just looking at the Vikings offense, I mean, it is – it's going to be a tall task. It, it is, Chud. I mean – Here's what I think the trap is. You see, oh, they're 0-2. They can't be any good, right? Oh, they lost to the Bengals. Well, yeah, they lost to the Bengals in overtime. So, obviously, they could have won that game. It's one play away. They're a missed 37-yard field goal from beating Arizona in Arizona week two, right? And they beat a good Seahawks team on Sunday. So, they could easily be 3-0, right? They're two plays away from being 3-0. and And – you go, okay, well, then that means they're pretty good. And I like Mike Zimmer as a coach. I really do. We could talk – we can say where Kirk Cousins ranks among NFL players and how bad he is in, is in prime time and all those things. I think he's thrown eight touchdowns and no interceptions. I just read a story out of Minnesota. He's playing like an MVP, whether or not anybody wants to admit it. And he, he uh, upset some people in Minnesota with his vaccine stance. So not everybody's cheering for him, but – He's playing great. Like you mentioned, he's got weapons all around him. Whether or not if Dalvin Cook plays, then, you know, they got a top five running back. They have two big time receivers. Their tight end looked pretty good the other day. Um, so, yeah, they're a formidable team. And it's interesting. I, I kind of when the lines came out Sunday, you know, I get an email from one of those offshore betting sites. I assume the Browns would be, I don't know four-point favorites. It just felt like that because the Browns played so well against the Bears and they're two and one, and we all know the hype around the Browns um, and the expectations. The first line I saw had Minnesota as a one-point favorite. And I saw one today that had the Browns as a one-and-a-half point favorite. So my point is, this is going to be a close game, right? Vegas expects it to be a close game. I expect it to be a close game. The Browns don't have a huge edge on offense, right? And that's that's saying something because most teams the Browns go against you, oh, 
the Browns are so much more talented at receiver and running back and whatever. I mean, I'd give the Browns an edge at tight end. I'd give them an edge at running back because I love Nick Chubb and because Cook's hurt. Um, but if Cook's healthy, Cook and Madison is not a huge drop-off from Chubb and Hunt. It is a drop-off, but it's not huge. Um, you know, I don't think Baker Mayfield – you know, Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins are really similar players. And it's just a matter of who plays better that day. Um, I like the Browns offensive line better, but the Vikings line is playing better than they thought it would at the beginning of the season. So yeah, I think it's gonna be a really good game. You know, I think the Browns defense coming off that performance, you could argue is probably better than Minnesota, but I don't think it's a huge difference. I mean, Minnesota's got players, Daniel Hunter, Everson Griffin, they got Sheldon Richardson coming off the bench on passing situations. The Browns know him. We know he's going to be motivated to try to go get Baker Mayfield at some point. You know, you got Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, if he's healthy, he's been dealing with something, but he practiced some last week. Nick Vigil, the other linebacker, had a pick six. Um, you know, Harrison Smith at safety. Like, I, I think they're a little bit susceptible at corner. Patrick Peterson isn't the same player um, that he used to be. But it's a good team, and it's going to be a really good matchup. And then you add on top of that the chess match between coaching staffs that know each other really well. Well, you look at the defense. I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, they, they obviously have given up points. They, they lost 27-24 to the Bengals, 34-33 to the Cardinals. But they have the momentum on defense just like the Browns do because they shut Seattle down in the second half last week and ended up beating them 30-17. to 17. So they're going to be riding in on a, on a little wave. They will. And, you know, their defense played well, but they also – the offense, like, dominated the ball in the second half. And Russell Wilson didn't get many opportunities, which is a key. And if you're the Browns, you want the ball, right? So the Browns' defense has to be able to get off the field so that Minnesota can't, you know, can't control the ball and dominate the ball because I think that plays into the style of football they want to play, much like – that's how the Browns want to play. Like Mike Zimmer is a defensive guy who loves to run the ball, but he also has a good quarterback and a couple of outside receivers that are big time weapons. So it, like you said, it's, it's almost a mirror image. I mean, I think he fired John DeFilippo as his offense coordinator in 2018, right? Stefanski took over right at the end of that season is coordinator because he wouldn't run the ball enough. Like that's the mindset of Mike Zimmer. So the Browns are going to have to be aware of that. But on top of that, you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen running deep. Yeah, so I looked at the line, too, just like you did. Um, on, I think I waited till Monday morning, but it was like early Monday morning, if you know what I mean. And yeah. I, think it was, I think it was like that one point uh, Minnesota uh, minus one. And then yesterday I saw the uh, back to the Browns minus a point and a half, like you said. And then I just looked now while you were talking and um, I see Browns minus two. Okay. So maybe, so, I mean, maybe people are thinking what I was thinking, right. But um, Vegas usually doesn't mess up those lines. So maybe they know something. I mean, a good team at home. I mean, home field advantage counts, you know, when we talk about the spread, but my point is that they're a good team. Like they're a playoff caliber team. Now they don't always play like that. And that's the way the NFL works. And if you get, you know, Kirk Cousins on a bad day and maybe you can get some pressure on him. Um, you know, but he made a really good throw. Like they, the Seahawks brought, I think it was the Seahawks. It was, maybe it was the Cardinals. One of the two games I watched last night, um, late last night, but they brought all out pressure and he backpedals and threw this ball up in the air. And it looked like a kind of a dangerous play. And 
his it was a perfect throw. His guy ran under the rainbow and they beat the blitz. He ran for he had a big scramble for a first down on one play I watched. So um you know, I mean he's not a top five quarterback and he's you know maybe overpaid given what they paid him and he you know hasn't had the success in the huge games that you'd want, but you know, he can he can light it up on any given Sunday. How about the NFL, though, in general? I mean, I was looking at it the other day and just thinking about this. After week one, right, Pittsburgh looks like they're going to be pretty good. They yeah. beat Buffalo. The Browns almost beat uh, Kansas City, but Kansas City wins. So Kansas City and Pittsburgh are both 1-0. Now they're both 1-2. They both lose two in a row. Who would have thought Vegas would be 3-0? The Broncos are 3-0. Uh, the, the Chargers beat Kansas City. They're 2-1. and Buffalo looks great again after losing in week one. I mean, I, I, this is going to be a roller coaster ride, and I just think the AFC is wide open. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, my natural response is you can't overreact to anything, right? Um, and, and that goes for the Steelers looking great in week one. Everybody's, oh, they're still the Steelers. And now they're one and two, and they lose to the Bengals. They're like, oh, they're done. Uh, guy, like, it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? The Steelers are probably going to come in at nine and eight. Right, because that's the kind of team they feel like they are. They have such a good coaching staff and such a tradition there, and they played without T.J. Watt last week. So, um, but yeah, I mean that's how this league goes. People are ready to give up on Kansas City. I mean, I'm not ready to give up on Kansas City, you know. So, no, there's a long time to go in this league. Um, but that's one of the that's one of the fun parts is that every week you feel like you know something else, and the question is, do you really know it, or was it just you know, kind of a blip in a mirage that week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with Kansas City and Buffalo are still the top two teams. The Browns and Ravens are, you know, right there. Uh, I, you know, I'm not ready to put – I mean, the Broncos have had kind of an easy schedule, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to put them in there, and uh, we'll see with uh, the Raiders. Tennessee, back to two and one. That, you know, that's another example of a team people were probably freaking out about. And then they've had two really nice wins. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. But, uh, all right, you ready to go uh, prediction time? Let's do it. All right. Oh, before I do that, did you see the email that popped out? The Browns signed up cornerback uh, yeah. to the practice squad. Yeah, Herb Miller. Yeah, and it's interesting. They released Jordan Franks. Now, maybe they plan to bring him back, but they called him up. They elevated him from the practice squad to the active roster. Saturday and he played a little bit Sunday. Um, it's just kind of an interesting move. Um, maybe it was all about special teams just for that week, and they're not worried about him being on the roster. Maybe they just did were underwhelmed Sunday, but um, you would think the guy plays Sunday in the game, and then all of a sudden he's not on the practice squad even. Yeah. All right, let's go to predictions. Uh, I think I made you go first last week. So you want me to go first this week? Sure. All right. So when I looked at the overall records and came to my final number, this was the one game that I was back and forth on as a pivotal game. And I did this with a few people at work. I did it with you. And uh, most people picked the Browns to win this game. And when I looked at it, I was nervous about this game. And Scott, I can change my mind. It's only Tuesday, right? We're recording this on Tuesday. So I am allowed to change my mind. And if I do that, we will update that later in the week. But I have to give you one right now. And I just have a bad feeling. I mean, feeling (laughs) that it's going to go not so good this week. And I'm going to go with the simple fact of I need to see the Browns beat a good team on the road before I'm going to predict them to do it. 
And you could come back and say, well, we'll have some guts and, you know, make that call. Well, I'm not ready to. So I'm going to go Vikings 27, Browns 24. <laughs> well, I chuckle, Chud, and you'll find out why I chuckle in a second here. Um, that, I mean, that's a completely reasonable pick. It's a completely reasonable explanation. Um, I look at this schedule coming up. It's at Minnesota, at Chargers, home to Arizona, home to Broncos on Thursday night, home to Pittsburgh, right? That's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough stretch. We're talking the meat of the schedule the Browns are starting to get into. Um, I know there's, you know, late in the season, they got those back-to-back with the Ravens that will probably determine the AFC North. But this is, it feels like, okay, you got the first couple of games out of the way, right? We kind of predicted everybody probably figured they'd be two and one and it would play out the way it did. Now you get into some games that are tougher to predict. Uh, you get, oh, hold on. Let me, I'm going to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone. A lot of people thought the Browns might beat the chiefs. Okay. But I mean, there were six and a half point dogs or seven point dogs, right? Like if you just go from a begging, from a betting perspective, they, they would have been two and one, but now, now it gets murkier, right? And correct. And I think it gets tougher for me to predict. Um, this is the toughest game to predict, right? Yeah, is that what right. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think it's. I think the same will be said for the next four or five weeks. The game in L.A. is going to be hard. Arizona's a good team. Denver's, yeah. you know, I mean, they're, they're probably better than Denver, but Denver's 3-0. It's a primetime game. Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh, right? So my point is, I think we're going to learn a lot about the Browns over the next, let's say, five games. Um, I think you're really going to say, okay, are they a 12 or 13-win team? Are they – you know, do they look more like a wild card team? Not that everything's defined by week seven or eight, but I mean, you're almost halfway through the season, right? So my point is, this is, this starts a really important stretch for the Browns and it's going to be a difficult game for all the reasons we laid out, but I'm going to go Browns and I'm going to take your score, which is what I have written down. I'm going to go 27, 24 Browns. I think it's a really close game. I think it could come, you know, it could be decided by turnovers. Uh, I just kind of like the Stefanski back to Minnesota. I like the Browns defense having the confidence a game from a game from a week ago. Um, you know, I think Baker will probably throw it more accurately than he did last week because he missed some throws and it's just kind of the natural ebb and flow of a season. And I would give just the Browns a slight edge on defense. And I think they're going to be able to score the ball a little bit. So I'm going to go 27, 24. I think it'll be a really good game. That's pretty funny. Same score, different team. Yeah. yeah. If, you know, I mean, I got the Browns going 12 and five, right? So they got to win some of these games. Like among this five game stretch, they probably have to go three and two or four and one to kind of get where I think they're going to go. Yeah. And I think we played the schedule game and you, you had them winning. obviously a lot of those games. Cause you only have them. Uh, well, what'd you have them? 12 and five, 12 right? And five. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I probably, yeah, I probably hadn't beaten Minnesota and losing to L.A., you know, the Chargers. Figure, though, lose one of those games. Um, you know, so, I mean, it could still it could happen and they could flip-flop them. But, you know, the more of these big games they win, the more of these big on-the-road games they win, um, I, I just think it, it gives them more confidence and it really establishes them as the team I think and a lot of people think they are. Yeah. And I think it goes back to your point. I didn't think I didn't think they would beat Kansas City, and I didn't really sit there and say, "Oh, they might." I, and I really didn't think that they might lose the next two games. So to go right. to your point, this is the first game where I think you really sit there and go, 
Yeah, it could go either way. Um, yeah. it, I mean, I think we both think that. There's probably yeah. a lot of people that don't. Listen, if the Browns team that played in the first half in Kansas City or the team that played in the second half last week, and if that team shows up, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely they can win on the road in Minnesota. Sure. There, there's no question about it. But if the other team that we've seen a few times here this year and, and if Cousins and that offense gets going, you know, that, that's my concern. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if the I mean, people in Minnesota saying, well, if the Vikings play like they did in the second half against Seattle, nobody's going to beat them, right? I mean, that's how the league is. But I think – so I think the Browns and the Vikings are pretty similar teams. I'd give a slight edge to the Browns, which is why I'm giving them a slight edge Sunday. Yeah, well, if it was in Cleveland, I would pick the Browns. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, hey, Chad, this has been great. Another, another jam-packed. Um, episode. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll check in again next week. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks everybody for listening. And you can read all my stories at brownzone.com. This has been the latest episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Thank you very much.